Support for Full Circle comes from Oak Bay Bikes. Serving cyclists in Victoria for over 80 years, Oak Bay Bikes has two locations and free pickup drop-off service. They are there wherever you need them. Find Oak Bay Bikes online at oakbaybikes.com. You're listening to Full Circle. I'm Max Collins, filling in for your regular host, Jordan Barron. In this series, we feature stories from the Greater Victoria area that speak to what really matters to Vancouver Islanders. Tiffany enrolled in language studies at the University of Victoria in order to follow a longtime dream of hers. So it's a two-year diploma program that was designed really to allow for people in our community to learn our language, but also become teachers. This program was designed to teach Senchothan to people of Wissanich lineage, and the Wissanich people understand the importance of Indigenous communities teaching each other their culture. One of my teachers is my cousin. His name is Panech, and his uncle, uh, Stelkwish. Uh, they were both our language teachers who we received tons of not just language but teachings and deep meanings behind our language. With that in mind, it's understandable that learning Indigenous cultural practices in a very non-Indigenous establishment, like a university, might not sit right with some of the students enrolled. Well, that's the sentiment that Tiffany ran into as she got farther into her studies at UVic. I'm aware that getting a diploma would allow me to have a more solid position within being able to work in our school, the Tleongoch Tribal School, but that's not really, that was never really my goal. And studying all these things related to education in a colonial system wasn't really my cup of tea. After leaving UVic, though, Tiffany definitely wasn't discouraged from learning the language of her ancestors. She continued to learn Senchothan through her community where she does some pretty amazing work today. In the territory of Songhees, Wissanich, and Esquimalt nations, also known as Victoria, indigenous folks have been steadfast in keeping their culture alive despite efforts of European colonies to extinguish it. Acting as a tight-knit, self-supporting community, each nation fosters the growth and learning of youth, uses the wealth of knowledge provided by elders, and continues to protect what has been important to indigenous culture from time immemorial. In this episode, we hear from just a few different individuals that are doing their part in keeping Indigenous cultural practices thriving. That includes some who train Indigenous caregivers in foster parenting and an Indigenous language nest. Just a note, the stories that you will be hearing from don't incorporate all Indigenous nations in and around Victoria. From CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, I'm Max Monday. This is Full Circle. Stay tuned. First up, a story on how to combat the system. In 2011, a shocking statistic revealed that Indigenous children make up almost half of those in foster care. Attention is being brought to how the foster care system is taking Indigenous children away from their communities and plopping them in homes that may not practice or even understand the importance of being immersed in their culture. To combat that, the Indigenous Perspective Society a non-profit social enterprise that focuses on fostering Indigenous perspectives and viewpoints, formed a group called the Indigenous Caregivers of BC. This group trains caregivers so that more foster parents can be available for the vast number of Indigenous children in need. So why is it important to keep Indigenous children in Indigenous homes? Gay Smith, a coordinator with Indigenous Caregivers of BC, 
sat down with CFUV to speak on the matter. That's in Fostering Indigenous Youth, up next. I want to tell you what it feels like to be me. When you are so little and had so many different mothers that you barely remember how your first mother looked. When the song she used to sing to you was in a different language. When some of the people who took you were called foster parents. And you don't know what that means, but it's something about them not staying around, at least for very long. This is the voice of a child going through the foster care system. Like almost half of those in foster care, she is of indigenous heritage. When moving from place to place, you start losing things you know you'll miss. Your brothers and sisters, your favorite stuffed animal with the missing eye, and the storybook that helped you go to sleep. Then you start losing things you didn't know you would miss. Your dream catcher hanging in your bedroom window, the smell of a particular food, and a pair of moccasins that a nice lady made for you. Her story mirrors that of many children in her situation. She is taken away from her family, from the culture she has grown up with since she was born, and placed into a foster home that may not understand the way that she was raised. I lost too many people that I might have cared about, and I guess I lost more than that because I was different, because they called me Aboriginal. And the kids who didn't look like me teased me. And the big people treated me differently than the other kids. None of you got how I was being changed by all those losses. I changed deep in my heart and in the way I acted. With all that happening to me, I decided I didn't care anymore. This tale is tragic, but there is an answer, a way to make sure that Indigenous children are cared for by people who understand their specific needs. The way to assure comfortable, caring living situations for these children is through education and training. This is what the Indigenous caregivers of BC, a proponent of the Indigenous Perspective Society, aims to provide for foster parents and caregivers who take care of foster children. Linda Lucas of Indigenous Perspective Society and Gay Smith, of Indigenous Caregivers of BC, spoke with CFUV to explain their mandate and their service to the community. So my name is Linda Lucas, I'm originally from the Hashquit First Nation, but I reside here outside of Victoria and Souk. I'm the executive director here and I have oversight responsibility of the organization as a whole. And I'm Gay Smith, I am Cree Ojibwe Métis, and I my roots are in Manitoba, and I currently live in Victoria. I am the Caregiver Support and Instructor for Indigenous Perspective Society and the Indigenous Caregivers of BC program. Well, I'm the support person as well, so I provide ongoing supports to family members. Lots of times children are not placed in foster care, but are in Indigenous communities are placed with a family member, and just because the family member takes them doesn't mean that whatever was going on for the child stops. So sometimes they just don't know what, how to deal with it, and so I'm available to talk to them whenever they need me to talk to them. So can you tell me a bit about what Indigenous Caregivers of BC provides for those who access it? Well, we offer pre-service training and we offer caregiver education program training, which is about 53 hours long. Those are the workshops that we're providing for them, but I'm also aware of other workshops that may be provided by other foster care and support agencies. 
And so if I'm advised of that, I can advise foster parents. Yeah, the content of the training, you know, covers everything from behavioral challenges a child might have, dealing with SASD, looking at intergenerational trauma, developing the care network team, everybody from the resource social worker, the foster parents, the child, the community supports. And wellness, how to maintain the wellness for foster parents. Self-care is really important for Mm -hmm. foster parents. How to advocate for children. We talk about racism and how that affects children in the school with bullying. Grief and loss is huge. Attachment. Um, You know, how do kids attach and what might be the problems that might come into place of why they're not attaching and how we can work with that. covers a lot. It's a fairly comprehensive training. I think what we're doing is giving them the information that they need to care for other people's children. Giving them tools. Exactly. Skills, knowledge, you know, enhancing their ability to care for children. And and creating that support network of professionals and other caregivers to work together to care for children. Yeah. It's providing a, you know, on many levels, a, a cultural context. Can you explain what you mean by a cultural context? The people that are looking after the children may be non-Indigenous. So Indigenous people caring for children and non-Indigenous, it's about providing Indigenous and non-Indigenous people the tools with which to care for the children. The cultural connections, um, it's, and it's a, a learning when you're working in a network with Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people as to how they can help each other as well. Um, I see that in a lot of the trainings that I do because not everybody's Indigenous that we're training. There's 3,000 foster parents in the province, and only maybe 2% or 3% are Indigenous people. That's not including extended family members, though. There's a low percentage that are Indigenous that are not, on, not family members. If we have the ability to place Indigenous children into Indigenous homes, that then becomes much easier for these children. Unfortunately, we don't have enough homes, so we recruit those kind of homes to come forward and we need to retain them as caregivers and it's not just about the understanding I want them to understand that and, and they will do better but it doesn't necessarily mean they, they, have, they don't live it Indigenous people live that culture they live that style where non-Indigenous people don't and there are some who do there are some who have really embraced it and cared for it and implemented it into their everyday life Why is it important to have family members or other Indigenous folks foster Indigenous children? They have a connection. There's maybe a level of comfort that they feel being connected with an Aboriginal caregiver. I think it's culturally safe for them, for children in care, you know, to be placed with an extended family or an an Aboriginal community, even if it's not part of their culture. You know, that continuum of care, I think, is really important for them to maintain their sense of security, their sense of belonging, their identity, identity, relationship. What I really want to tell you is simple. Never forget that I'm watching. Never forget that every single thing you do to matters so much to me. Even though I will try my best to pretend that it doesn't. And I will remember. You might get away with treating me like I'm invisible for a while. But in your heart, you know I'm here watching. I have deep feelings about what is happening to me. And I need someone so badly just to act as if it mattered. 
can you explain with your expertise on the subject why Indigenous caregivers are so few and far between? I think a lot of it, and this is my own opinion, is a lot of it is related to intergenerational trauma and the perception that Indigenous people historically were told that they were unable to care for their children and that the children would be better in non-Indigenous homes. And so during the time of the residential schools and later the 60s group, children were removed and placed into non-Indigenous homes because the perception was that they would do better. We know that's not true and it's been proven that it's not true. So it's about convincing the communities that it's okay to step forward. And so by us going into the communities and doing the training, I may get some people that really weren't thinking about becoming a foster parent, but they've come into the training and recognized that it isn't about judging or it isn't about saying that they don't know anything. It's about helping them understand the language and helping them understand the processes of a system and how they can care for children and keep them within their communities. When I'm training foster parents, I I talk to them about the large number of children in care, which is about 62% of the kids in care are Indigenous kids, and there's about 8,200 children in care, period. But our children only make up 8% of the province, like Indigenous people only make up 8% of the province. So there's a lot of children in care. So we talk about intergenerational trauma. We talk about trauma-based practice and how best that they can be working with that. And the lens, as Linda said, the lens that the non-Aboriginal social workers go in is not the same lens that an Aboriginal social worker would be going in. They would be looking at it differently. What's the most difficult part of these workshops? I think for some non-Indigenous people, it's the whole teaching of the Indian Act in the residential school and all of that, the intergenerational trauma that people in the general population aren't aware of. And so it's about giving them that kind of information. What about when you're working with Indigenous families? Like when the children are transitioning to living with their grandparents or other relatives? I think the sadness hurts my heart sometimes. I think when I'm seeing people come forward to look after their grandchildren and not understanding of why their grandchildren are being brought into care, they they don't necessarily understand how their own children are not okay. I'm very gentle when I'm working with some of our families and because it's, they're hurting, so I, I, you know, I want to be really careful with that. Part of the counselor in me says that I need to be really gentle with these folks and acknowledging that they're the grandparents or they're the aunties and uncles. In most Indigenous communities, it is the family members that are taking care of the children. It's, I don't go, you know, I don't, um, I'm, I'm giving them some tools. I'm not telling them that they're bad parents, and, and that's what they've had historically. So I'm very clear that I'm just bringing you some tools that you can use and some information that you can use that will better help you. Let's talk about some of the kids that have been cared for by ICOBC caregivers. Can you tell whether or not they've been succeeding in life after their time in foster care? You know, a lot of them have gone on. It's wonderful that we have um, now all the post-secondary options with tuition waivers for youth in and from government care, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, to be able to access post-secondary education. This is new. This is wonderful. The numbers of Indigenous children in care that are graduating from high school and going on to post-secondary education has increased by about 50% in the last four years, maybe five years. A study was done in about 2006, 2007, and only 11% of children in care that were Indigenous were graduating from high school. Now it's something like 70-something percent, and it continues to rise. So I'm really excited about that and, and about our kids not having doors closed for them. 
In regards to the workshops and resources you provide to caregivers, what does a success story look like to you? When it's all done at the end and I'm able to give these folks a certificate that they've completed it and I thank them for that and generally it's, it's really a good feeling to know that they're good, they're, they feel good about what they've done as well. That makes me happy, right? I think when people finish it, I think it's their reactions when they finish it and most often they are hungry, they want to learn more and they're opening themselves up to learning some more tools and meeting with other caregivers and not isolating themselves. Being a caregiver is isolating and we it's really, really difficult to be a very public parent because communities and family members and outside area um, people are always judging you and so it, that's difficult so informing your own network of support really helps with that and I, and I think when you're training in groups um, these people do come together and provide each other support. I think I would have to also say that Children are connected. Children maintain a continued connection to their families and communities and their, where they're from. You know, they maintain that level of understanding so that they don't become disconnected from where they're from. I think that's an important part of this the training is the underlying theme is, is about maintaining connections, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. My belief system has always been that if, if people are stepping forward to look after children and if we can provide them the tools and the information and the knowledge to do that, they will do a better job. And knowledgeable people care for our children better. Mm-hmm. Good one, Gay. <laughs> That's just my belief system that they just do better. And for everyone who helps the big people, taking care of me, please help them. They have a handful. Sometimes they don't know what to do with me. So make sure someone is there to answer their questions, to encourage them, to help them understand me better, to understand how my spirit works, to understand how my culture and my people help me grow. So, have I told you anything you wanted to know? Do you understand how we kids feel, at least a little better? I know it's a lot of pressure, realize that we are watching you and are affected by everything you do. I know how easy it is to turn away and pretend like you can't hear me, but I promise you, if you take me seriously, you won't regret it because someday I'll be like you, a big person. Remember that. If you'd like to learn more about this organization, head to fostercaregiversbc.ca for more information. Thank you to Linda Lucas, Gay Smith, Indigenous Perspective Society, and Indigenous Caregivers of BC for participating. listen to Fostering Indigenous Youth, a piece created by members of CFUV's production team. Coming up is a handful of nursery rhymes like you've never heard them before. That's next. Stay with us. Support for Full Circle comes from Oak Bay Bikes 
serving cyclists in Victoria for over 80 years. Are you curious about e-bikes? Check out the Oak Bay Bikes Demo On Demand program. At Oak Bay Bikes, E is for everyone. For more information, visit Oak Bay Bikes in Victoria or on the West Shore or online at oakbaybikes.com. From CFUV 101.9 FM, you're listening to Full Circle. I'm Max Collins, filling in for Jordan Barron. Welcome back. In this episode, we hear stories on Indigenous resilience. After attempted extinction of their culture, Indigenous nations remain a cultural force to be reckoned with. Here are a few examples. So next up, Tiffany Joseph, a member of the Wissanich Nation, says she knows the best way to teach Sanchothan to Wissanich children. As Tiffany told us, any parent is aware of the annoying nursery rhymes that kids love to search for and play on YouTube. Well, many of these nursery rhymes involve history and practices of settlers. Case in point, ring around the rosy. Tiffany was aware of that and made it a task of hers to take the recognizable melodies of these songs and set them to Sanchothan rhymes. That way, young children can learn the language in fun ways while reciting Sanchothan stories over European ones. This is just a small part of how Tiffany participates in teaching Wasanish children their culture. There's more to learn in Sanchothan Language Nest. Ah-chung, ah-chung, and then you ah-chung, each a-chung, the kayatan. Ah-chung, ah-chung. When I think about indigenous language revitalization, I'm like, oh my god, you know, there's so many communities that really can benefit from having their languages revitalized. And I have the, I never know another word to say this, but I have the privilege of being in Hussainich, where there's a huge commitment of people really willing to put in the work right now. Before, a lot of people around my age took up the task of becoming apprentices with mentors to whom they were learning from. There was not a lot of people. Anyone who was involved with language revitalization before that time was mostly elders. So in around 2008 is when not just the Hussainich, but many people, uh, indigenous peoples across the country we call Canada, took up that role and that task and that work. Tiffany Joseph than a snatch slits and Hussainich e at Scotmish, Helisin at Joseph eight lungs, Jason to say out Sinchathan out. My name is Tiffany Joseph. I am from Hussainich, which is anglicized into Sanich, and Skolmish, which is anglicized into Squamish. I live in Hujasasp, which is also known as Sartlet First Nation, also known as West Sanich. If you were to look it up on Google Maps, it would be Brentwood Bay, and it's known as the land of the maples, also known as the keeper of the rope. I am working with um, a new project called Sayout Sinchathanayout, which just means Sayout Sinchathan Language House, which is a language nest pilot project. 
A language nest is a place for people who want their children to be immersed in their target language. So for us, it's the Sinchothan language. So the age group would be zero to four. We're doing everything we can to keep these young minds engaged, to also expose them to different sounds that exist in, in our case, in Sinchothan language that do not exist in English, the way we intonate our language. I think the reason why I really wanted to do a language nest was because I have three children. My oldest is 10, and um, recently we translated about 18 songs, nursery rhymes. A lot of people are calling them lullabies, but I would call it a nursery rhyme. Some of them are lullabies. We translated them from English into Sinchothan. And really a great way for children to learn all language is through music. My children, all three of them, have always been like I've always gotten the comment, wow, your child is such a clear speaker. And I'm like, yeah, because I sing to them all the time. So I'm really glad to be basically fulfilling a kind of dream that I had because all these songs that we actually translated were ones that I sang to my kids in English. The entire time I was learning these songs, I was wishing I was singing them in Skolmish because at that time I was still in my Skolmish community, still had ties to the language. So... I was really happy to be able to translate them into Sinjothan, uh, to be able to be singing these songs to my kids and enabling people in my community to sing these songs to their children, to their babies, because these are babies right now that we're, we'll be working with in Sinjothan, which wasn't available to me back in 2007, 2008, when my oldest was a baby. These songs, these are nursery rhymes, and when I wanted them, when I was, you know, singing these songs to my babies, knowing that they'd be really great to be translated into, at that time, Skolmish, there's people who will say, or who believe, that just translating these songs from English into whatever language is, um, there's not a desirability for some people, but I feel like it's because these are people who haven't spent time raising children. Because when you're raising children, you're saying stuff on repeat. You do have to say the things that they're doing, like you're brushing your teeth, you're washing your hands, you know, you, you describe everything that they're doing so that it's just natural, it comes out naturally. And these songs, the people who created these songs know that, they did it in English, sure, but you'll never not have to teach your kid how to wash their hands, you know? So like, like that's the, this way we wash our hands. You know what I'm you know, yeah, you know what I'm singing, right? That's even great too. Say I'm a mother who has children and you're somebody who I need to come and help take care of my children. And I'm like, I really want you to learn Sinchothan. And you're like, <gasps> and I'm like, well, just start with this song. You're like, okay, good. I know that one. I know that one. And there's some that are to the tune of Frere Jaca. And it'll be like, oh, I'm totally going to forget Frere Jaca now. I'm going to remember it. I'm going to remember that instead of Frere Jaca now. These songs are not going to just evaporate 
overnight from our children's awareness. With that in mind, I'm creating a resource that I know for sure will not be colonizing, will not be implanting strange kind of ideologies into my children. It's going to be rooted in Sinchothan. I've helped create them myself. It's been supported by people within my community. It's been supported by elders, the way that we translate it. Yeah, I just can't emphasize enough that though these songs come from English, it's not really about like language. It's more about like being a parent and describing things that children are doing, describing stuff that you do with your children, even just to tickle like you need to teach your child that you're tickling them <laughs> through language so that they when they want to do it to you you know they'll be like they'll be saying pala 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 <laughs> yeah Why is it important to collaborate with elders when creating these nursery rhymes in St. Jonathan? It's important to collaborate with elders and people in community because with people in community, it's the people you want to reach. Elders, we have that resource available in our community. We're very blessed to have that. Because we have that available to us, we will go to our elders. There's also just like the bonding <laughs> aspect of it, the immense amount of gratitude to be working with an elder. You know, we were sitting together and everyone kind of needed a break. And when you're working with elders, the breaks can kind of entail to, oh, this is how we're related. So when we're taking a break, we were still learning. We're still receiving knowledge. We're still maintaining something that we've done since time immemorial, which is discuss our family lineage, our connection to one another, how we're related. What's the most rewarding part of learning Senchothan and teaching Senchothan? <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> um, in kindergarten, preschool, elementary school, high school, I grew up hearing that my language, that there was not a lot of speakers. Back when I was a kid, it, there was only 12 fluent speakers of Skultmish language and my grandmother was one of them, yet she wasn't teaching me directly. At this point in time, I'm able to build very strong connections with family members. Um, I'm able to joke in my language. It feels very, feels very special. Language is always gonna, it's very precious and valued to me and I think everyone that I've ever learned language with. And I just humble myself with the fact that, you know, there was points in time where there was people who it was just them working on it at one point or them and one other person. I'm really glad that my children will have me to talk to. For more information on the Sanchothan Language Nest, visit www.wisanichschoolboard.ca. Thank you to Tiffany Joseph for participating. That was Sanchothan Language Nest, a piece created by members of CFUV's production team. If you enjoyed our program, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear more stories like these, 
head over to cfuvpodcasts.com or soundcloud.com slash cfuv. Our intro is composed and performed by Poddington Bear. The special outro for this episode is Love is Love Part 2, written and composed by Quantum Tangle. We also heard songs from Ghostkeeper. This episode was produced by me, Max Collins. This program is created by CFUB's podcasting production team. If you want to be a part of creating high-quality spoken word programming, head to cfuv.ca to find out more. Full Circle is made possible with the generous support from Oak Bay Bicycles and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. Again, I'm Max Collins. This is Full Circle. Thanks for listening. Support for Full Circle comes from Oak Bay Bikes. Proudly serving the cyclists among UVic students and faculty since 1963. Visit Oak Bay Bikes in Victoria or on the West Shore or online at oakbaybikes.com.